We have two additional scripture readings this morning. The first is from the book of Acts, beginning in chapter 4, verse 32 through 35. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they held was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And this from the book of 1 John, chapter 1. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testify to it, and declare to you that eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another. May God continue to bless our understanding of this sacred text. Will you pray with me? O gracious and loving God, May the meditations of all our hearts and minds be pleasing unto you this day and forevermore. Amen. Now what? That must have been one of the questions the disciples were asking themselves following the whirlwind of events that had taken place these past few weeks. And depending on which gospel account you read, Jesus appeared before the disciples in several ways after his crucifixion and death. While on the road to Emmaus, he appeared in the garden where Mary only recognized him once he called her by name, in the locked room where they were hiding out in fear, only to have the resurrected Jesus appear before their very eyes to break bread with them. And once they all believed, even doubting Thomas, that yes, Christ had died, but Christ is risen, surely they asked themselves, now what? And Jesus gave them a few clues before he ascended. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach and live what you have been taught. And he blessed them with this promise, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
And as they listened to Jesus' instructions and they pondered the question, now what? I have to imagine that they first had some reconciliation to do. After all, Judas had betrayed not only Jesus, but the other disciples, and he had taken his own life. Peter, who seemed to be a potential leader, had done the very thing he promised Jesus he wouldn't do, and denied even knowing him. They needed to consider how they would go forward, together, in solidarity. And so I wonder if they turned to their Hebrew scripture and read Psalm 133, how very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. For as Rich pointed out, this psalm was sung by those who wanted to remind themselves of the bond that united them, created by their covenant and their relationship with God, and therefore their covenant with each other. Grounded in this covenant with God and each other, and the promise from Jesus to be with them to the end, surely strengthened them to go forward in their discipleship and their ministry, as are we. Well, the stories of their discipleship and the scripture that describes their ministry often refers to the importance of their faith in unity, fellowship, and community. And we heard it again in the scripture from Acts. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They were so united, in fact, that no one claimed private ownership of their possessions, but they shared everything. And as a result, there was not a needy person among them. Christ sent them out, not just to proclaim the good news of the resurrection, but to tend his sheep to feed his lambs. Their ministry was meant to embody the redemptive truth of the resurrection by caring for one another in ways that secured the fullness that God intends. They preached the holy concept of communities grounded in friendships that prize what is best for all over what is merely self-satisfying. The mystic Julian of Norwich said it so beautifully. We are all one in love. When I look at myself as an individual, I see that I am nothing. It is only in unity with my fellow spiritual seekers that I am anything at all. It is this foundation of unity that will save humanity. The disciples believed and preached that not only were they in fellowship with each other, but that their unity was, was grounded first and foremost in their relationship with their father and with his son. That only by walking in the light of Christ could they have true solidarity with each other. By walking in the light of Christ, they were building communities that valued hospitality, where just like Jesus, everyone was welcome at the table. It was the kind of hospitality that created a place where we are all connected to one another. It is a place of respect, acceptance, and friendship. It offers a tent of listening and mutual sharing of lives and life stories. Well, this kind of hospitality that honors all human dignity, the kind of dignity and respect that recognizes the image of God in every person, that we are made for others, and we depend on others. 
where we sympathize with the needs and the suffering of others because we have this common bond. And I can't think of a better place than around a table to build that kind of community. Jesus understood that. Jesus modeled that by doing so much of his teaching while sharing a meal with those gathered. So, no doubt, that must be why the church potluck was invented. The church potluck. Oh, how we miss it. Well, I invite Rich to come out, and I would love to hear from you and what you notice about this mural that is actually painted on the outside of a brick wall in, I think it's Cleveland. Um, but what do you notice? What do you see? So my job is to, so you don't have to shout out too loud, is to pass your responses on to Meredith. What do you see or imagine? Pam's got one, Rich. Mostly women. It's mostly women. Hmm. hmm. Interesting. The diversity of the people gathered around the table. Joy. So I wonder if you can see the hand in the left corner. I can't tell if he's receiving the bread or giving the bread. I don't even know if it's a he. but the breaking of bread. They're serving one another just as we would do at communion. Diversity in food, diversity in languages, ages. I even see some curiosity in some of their eyes, like I wonder what this dish is. Well, the power of the fellowship depicted in this beautiful mural was clearly based in the sharing of food. But there is so much more being shared here. Joy, mutual respect, a helping hand, a deep-seated respect for one another in their unity, but also their diversity. This table tends all the sheep. This table feeds all the lambs. And once we are nourished at the table, once our tummies are full and our souls are nourished, at the first Congo table, Christ calls us to bring the redemptive truth of the resurrection out into the world to care for those, not necessarily in our church community, but also in the broader community, to those beyond our table, to those beyond our walls, to create God's vision on earth where no one is needy. I know it sounds impossible which is why this quote from Angela Davis inspires me. You have to act as if it were possible to radically transform the world. 
If we give up before we even try because we think it's impossible, we'll never know what kind of transformation we might be able to achieve. Much of what, much of what Christ calls us to do may seem impossible, but he promises to be with us to the end. We have to act as if it is quite possible to radically transform the world. If not us, then who? In this season of Eastertide, just like the first disciples had to regroup, just like they had to examine their priorities, just like they pondered the joy of kindred spirits living in unity, we too are asked to consider our discipleship. How will we tend the sheep? How will we feed the flock? How will we teach and live what we have been taught? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Now what? Amen.